1: Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award winning author of kick ass international thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, who's watching my back, where we are kicking, <laughs> riding in the butt, one word at a time.
0: <laughs> and Taylor, you sent out, um, in, in a recent missive that you sent to your, uh, to your email list, you noted a book from a friend of yours called Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing. You also told me about it. I pre ordered the book, haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, But the book was released last week, I think. It released very strongly, released onto the New York Times bestseller list, and then something happened.
1: Well, actually, something happened even before that, Um, and that is our um, discussion topic for today. This is actually round two. (laughs) We recorded an entire episode, and I got way too emotional and way too off track and just it was Steve and I had a discussion after it and like this is why I value his input so much. And he's like, Well, if it was me, I would just feel like you just yelled at me for an hour. And I'm like, Oh God. So we discussed <laughs> it and he's completely right. So um I'm gonna try and redo this and not yell at not do any yelling. And I wasn't doing any yelling, it's just I feel so I got it got really personal to me. She was not doing so any
0: yelling, but it it, it, it <laughs> it was as she said it was deeply personal to her and i was as, as a listener hearing some of the things she was saying uh i my hair was blown back occasionally we'll just put it that way <laughs> so
1: i'm going to try and do this with, to communicate it better i i really don't like being misunderstood and i'm i'm like 100 plus percent sure that everything I had said would have been misunderstood. So we're going to try again. So anyway, there's just been this big boo in publishing land. And if you've been on Twitter or Goodreads, um, somewhere like that, you may have already heard about it. The name already of Lauren Huff might already be familiar with you because, you know, it was everywhere for a while. And, um, you know, as with most online desktops, it started because someone said something lots of people didn't like. And, um, I really try and steer clear of that most of the time because I just I, I find that most online blow ups, uh with just very rare exceptions, they're they, they almost always remove all the nuance. There's they they turn into something completely uh, team A against team B and, and all the the finer points of discussion just get completely lost. And I, I just I, I don't I don't want to be part of that. Like I feel like we need to learn to understand each other better, not use things that happen as a way to build a you bad, me good kind of narrative. So, um, yeah, I just I don't my my opinion doesn't matter enough in anything to to, to go wade into a debate. And, 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 and there's a I have to face the fact that there's probably a 90 plus percent chance that whatever viewpoint I've been uh, subjected to is only partial. So to react based on that would <laughs> I'm just going to be feeding that monster. But in this case it is different because I am personally connected to the conflict. I I know Lauren Huff personally. Um that we both were raised in the same cult. I knew her way back then. We reconnected after we both got out. And so even though um our experiences are uniquely our own, all the experiences of those of us who are raised in that movement, um, we're we're uniquely our own. We have sort of this shared combined trauma and we react to things, some of the similar triggers. And in this big brouhaha, um, even though I personally uh, maybe wouldn't have done or said some of the things that were done or said, uh, because I'm a different person and I have very low tolerance for that sort of online combativeness, I very much relate to the triggers that started it off and um that's where everything kind of went super personal for me. So anyway, what I'm gonna try and do here is is talk about this particular subject uh first by just giving you the as objective as possible, try and take my my own personal connection bias out of it, just kind of say what happened and then um give you my own personal take on it. Abbreviated version. Okay. <laughs> And, um, and then focus it on how how it has to do with publishing, like because this is a publishing subject inside a publishing industry. And it's really interesting uh, to see what happened, because um, as Steve mentioned, as we as he opened this show, this book that um, sh- should have died. It, this should have been the end of an author's career. And it, it launched onto the New York Times bestseller list. Why? Why did that happen? How? How did that happen? And so, um, but to get to that, we got to explain what happened. And because I'm, because it's personal, I, I can't not say what I think. And then we'll get to that. So anyway, um, this whole thing happened, uh, with the, the, the night before Lauren's book came out, she's a writer, she's published pieces in multiple magazines, but she, you probably were, where most people first heard about her is with a piece that went viral called, I Was Cable Guy, I Saw the Worst of America. She's very active on Twitter. And and this is important in context because her Twitter feed is full of biting sarcasm, bucket loads of profanity, but it's also very authentic and uh, deeply personal. She's off the cuff. She's unashamedly unpolished. She's not pretentious. And she's also never been shy about telling people who offer unsolicited advice where to take it. So that is her brand. That's her personality uh, on Twitter. And she's used to being that way of just whatever she thinks. She's also um, very... Open about PTSD, about depression, and about self medicating with weed. So she's perpetually high. She doesn't take herself seriously. She doesn't expect anybody else to take her seriously. And that sort of laid the groundwork for what came next, which was the night before the book launch, she went on Goodreads and saw some of the reviews, which at that point, up to that point, had been absolutely glowing. And she saw something that, even though I'm just going to say, in my opinion, based on what I know of her and what I saw, it triggered an emotional reaction in her. And it, she, it was she took a screenshot of two reviewers uh, commenting to each other, and in one, the reviewer had given said that they she'd given the book four point five stars and rounded down. And the other, she'd said she'd given the book 4.5 stars and rounded up to five. And so in that screenshot, she did not block out the first name. Like, you could only see the first name and and the first line, first couple of lines of each comment. But she did not block out the name, um, the first name. Um, These were public profiles. You know, anybody could have seen them. And she said, she put a comment on it and said, grow up. And then following that, she added some parentheticals, which said, glad to see most of the Goodreads assholes are still giving four-star reviews to show they're super tough reviewers who like who need to like fall in love, you know, anyway, no one likes you. And she followed that by all the writers who are scared to even like that tweet. I see you. I will hate them out loud for you. I know they're scary as shit, freaking nerds on a power trip. And then those tweets filtered out into book Twitter, and book Twitter got mad, and it spread to Goodreads, and Goodreads reviewers got mad. And then one star rating started flooding the um the link I guess the book listing link on goodreads and then I think the next morning, I think it was launch day um she tweeted the book bloggers found this and are taking it very seriously because as everyone knows, every stoned ass three a m tweet is extremely serious and must be taken seriously and that made book Twitter and Goodreads even matter and then the narrative of what those tweets meant and Lauren Huff is a horrible person, which, I mean, doesn't didn't really say that, but that was kind of the narrative began to form. And then screenshots with the narrative started spreading and then vitriol flooded in her timeline. She deleted the tweets and then deleting the tweets fueled the outrage even more because that was like, aha, proof of whatever. I don't know what. And then the one star campaign sort of became this self-feeding creature. And then she kept getting more garbage into her timeline and so the person who helps her manage her account when things get well overwhelming went on this massive blocking campaign to try and keep her her timeline manageable and the blocking became an even bigger aha gotcha which leveraged the outrage even up more and so Lauren took her account private which just made it all even worse and then finally at some point I think it was the next day um, she'd been uncharacteristically silent and then she posted this thread thread about what was happening. And she's like, well, I know you're not supposed to feed the trolls, but I've spent my whole life being forced to suck up abuse and silence and being forced to take whatever others are dishing out to me with a smile. And I thought that I'd finally be able to speak. And now this campaign is trying to destroy my voice. And so I apologize, but this timeline is going to get messy and there's going to be fighting. And then she did the one thing you're told never to do, ever, ever, ever. And she started exchanging words with those who were coming after her. And she was really not nice about it. I mean, she was very on brand and and didn't do anything that 60,000 people don't already love her for. But to the people who weren't used to it, it was just absolutely horrifying. She was the worst person in the whole world. And um, I... I guess it's important to point out that in all of this, the only people she ever responded to, even from the very beginning, were people who showed up on her timeline, like engaged with her. She never went on to Goodreads. She never contacted any authors. She never did any of that stuff. And it's important to mention that because the word bullying has been used a lot in this whole discourse. And I guess it just that word means different things to different people. Like to some people, the fact that she posted that screenshot with a first name in it and said, grow up, that's bullying. Reviewers, from my perspective, that's not bullying. But it, the word means different things to different people. So I'm giving you the details so that you can make your own decision of what actually what actually happened. So anyway, um, she didn't go showing up on Goodreads. She didn't go into other people's Twitter accounts. She was responding to people who were coming at her saying really mean things to her. That doesn't make her a saint. Doesn't. It's not like a oh because she didn't go anywhere else and only was responding to people. Everything she did was rosy hunky-dory. It's just that the details matter. And so that's why I'm including it. So in any case, in the process of answering all people who were basically telling her to suck it up and that she brought it on herself, she started just doing sarcastic uh, font tweets back saying, you know, oh, smile more. You shouldn't have worn that skirt. Kind of equating being told to sit back and let all this happen without saying anything to this and that she brought on herself as like it's the same mentality as blaming the victim not that she was completely innocent in all of this but by this point it got so out of hand that it was i'm sure in her mind completely two separate things there was the initial thing which she's like why is everybody even taking this seriously and then there was this one where now everybody just hates her guts and it's telling her to sit back and let them hate her and and not to say anything back. And so that's what she was responding to specifically the second time around. And then um, to the people who kept saying that Goodreads was uh, for readers, not authors, she posted a screenshot of Mein Kampf with its like 3.6, 3.5, whatever star rating together with her own book, which was a 1.6 star rating at that point and did the sarcastic thing of, you know, Goodreads is for readers. And then everybody just kind of at that point just went, insane and so you just kept all this stuff was going around lauren huff says good readers reviewers are nazis lauren huff is comparing her bad good reviews to being raped lauren huff is actively name searching herself and blocking anyone who mentions her lauren huff is trying to cancel goodreads lauren huff is bullying and attacking reviewers who give her anything less than five stars lauren huff feels that she's entitled to five stars this just kept going on on and on and then hundreds of blog posts were written and some were mocking her, some were piling on to the whole thing, others were using her as a cautionary tale, and then blue checkmark Twitter accounts were coming out telling her to stop, and she didn't. And the cycle kept feeding itself until it got exhausted, and then something newer and shinier came up and it was over. And that's kind of the most objective version I can offer. Personally, I felt very attacked with the whole thing because um, I, I could see a lot more nuance going on behind the scenes. Um, i I knew from what she was saying and from her history that she wasn't she didn't believe she was entitled to a five star review um she was talking about something else completely and uh good like it's not like she was talking about something people didn't know about like goodreads is not it's not a monolith like there's so many people on that site who use it for so many different reasons, but there's a portion of it that's just known capital letters known. To be very toxic, and so it's like speak when you, when you're talking to somebody who already knows what you're talking about. That's what she was doing. She was talking about that toxicity. But if somebody didn't know what she was talking about, then be really easy to think that she was just saying all readers are on Goodreads are are assholes, and that they should all be giving her five star reviews. And that's what people were getting mad about. But that's not what she was saying, and and so. The initial tweets were probably not smart. And like she herself admitted, probably shouldn't have tweeted them when she was stoned at 3 a.m. in the morning. But what happened after that, it just spun off into something else where it became its own narrative. And narratives only work when there's a villain and a hero. And so the more this went along, everything she did, everything she said had to be reframed to fit this, this narrative where she was a villain. And then anybody who was offended at her got to be part of the hero crowd. And that's pretty much how all online outrage stuff works, not just with books, but with everything, is us versus them. Let's find a way to make my let make our team look good. Oh, here's our villain of the day, right? But what made me mad personally, what affected me personally, all of this, it wasn't that people were upset by her tweets. It wasn't that reviewers were offended um, believing that she was attacking them for not giving her good enough reviews. I mean, she's not for everyone. She offends a lot of people and no one's obligated to like her. No one's obligated to like her book. Um, And and I I mean, the the one star campaign of people who were, you know, trying to tank the book as a way to tell her how much, how bad they thought she was. I I could even get that a little bit because it's, they were buying into the narrative. Like they ever, someone else was saying, she did this and they were reacting to what someone else said that she did because even the tweets, like the tweets themselves, those initial ones before she started responding to people, she it, it isolated on their own. They they weren't great, but it was the narrative built around them that, that became larger than life that made them so much more than, than what they were. And I, I, I got why she talked back to people. It, it I, I, I could never do it because I just don't have that level of ability to. I don't have her wit, and I don't have her ability to shrug stuff off. But the triggers (laughs) underlying it all, I really do. I I get it so so deeply, and um, it what what made me so frustrated in all of this, and why I understood why she was talking back, is because they the narrative started spinning into accusations that were completely untrue. Like they accused her of doxing reviewers and doxing is when you um, uncover private information to uh, publicly expose who someone is. Um, so if 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 all you're doing is screenshotting the first name of something that's public in no way, shape or form is, is that anywhere even near the definition of doxing. Um, but it became part of the narrative that she had been doxing reviewers, and so people who didn't see the first bit of it, or who didn't understand how this all unfolded, who, who caught it in the middle, or who just caught tweets put within the context of somebody else's opinion, how are they to know, right? Um, they accused her of using her massive platform to bully reviewers, which again she didn't. But bullying means different things to different people. I could see how it it would take someone back to find that an author had screenshotted part of their public comments doesn't matter that it's public you just you just kind of aren't used to seeing that and, and I have my own story that that goes with that way back when the informationist was published I um I was on Twitter I was still very new to this whole thing and uh I saw somebody talking about the informationist and they said they didn't they didn't much care for it and somehow in there there was this I think it was the original person said, you know, like, God forbid the author should see it. And I thought that was hilarious because it's public. Of course, the author's going to see it, you know. So I I kind of chimed in a little bit and I was like, hey, yeah, the author definitely did see it. But then I also said, like, you know, I'm sorry that you didn't like it. The, the, you know, there's life is short. There's too many good books in the world to um, to force yourself to read something that you didn't enjoy. So, you know, I don't blame you for for not reading it or so, something along those lines It was very supportive. And I was just trying to be kind and friendly and and like they're talking about me right in front of me, you know, and I didn't I, I, it, it wasn't a review or anything. It was just a conversation. And the reaction, though, was like I just invited people to eat babies or something. It was just they were horrified um, that that I'd even interjected myself. It didn't matter that I was uh, trying to be funny. It didn't matter that I was being friendly. It didn't matter any of that stuff. It was, I, I just gate crashed a party. And thankfully the person that I was responding to directly was pretty chill about the whole thing. And he had written about how it just like kind of shocked him and took him by surprise. Um, he wasn't saying anything particularly bad about me, but everybody started dogpiling onto it in the comments, like being super protective of him and how dare that author and what a horrible person. And he was like, no, 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 she, she was nice. It it wasn't like that. But that immediate like jumped down my throat and how easily what I thought was just a a really simple and what I had intended as being a good exchange, how easily it turned south. It, it really made me like, it burned me and, and it, it's, (laughs) that is so, still so fresh even now all these years so fresh in my mind of how horribly wrong things can be interpreted online. um, That that's, part of the reason why I tend to keep my social, my uh, online interaction limited to spaces that there are people that I know know me that are not going to like spin it out to or, or deliberately twist it to try and make me look bad for whatever reason, right? Because that why would I want to interact with people who do that to me? That's what the, I, I, I'm trying to be good here, guys, you know? So I know from my own experience how shocking it can be When something that even though you wrote it publicly, you're you don't expect it to all of a sudden be somewhere else. And so when she did that, even though there was no there was no doxing, there was no bullying, there was no any of those things. I could see how from the other point of view, it was like, holy crap, look what this person with 60,000 followers just did. None of them ever went to the reviewer or said anything bad to the reviewer. Nothing of that happened. But the narrative formed as if it had that she was sending her massive following to go bully those people, her intentions didn't matter. Only the narrative mattered, right? That's what made me uh, feel so frustrated and what triggered me and angered me was that I was watching in real time how what someone else said what became the truth. Said Someone else said that you said became what you said, even if you didn't. How what someone else said what you meant became what you meant, even if it didn't. It just, it became the de facto truth. So when she did start talking back, even though I I knew there was going to be a price to pay for it, there was a certain part of me that just felt like this enormous sense of relief because growing up as we did, where you you could say something, right, to a friend and an adult could overhear you and hear you incorrectly And say that you said something else. And it didn't matter what you said. What that adult said that you said, that was now the truth. So you got punished for something you didn't do because they said that you did it. And you had to be grateful for that punishment. And you could never complain and you could never say anything back. And it went on like that for decades. That was our life. Just having that voice silenced and squelched and not being able to say anything. So when stuff like this happens, it is triggering to a level that most people probably couldn't really understand. And the thing about emotional triggers is it makes you respond to things in ways that make you look a little bit crazy <laughs> because you're not you're, you're responding from an emotional level. You're not responding to what's right there in front of you. And it, it, trauma does strange things to people in, in that way, especially when it's not unresolved. And that's kind of what happened here. So from a personal level, I was just like I was feeling it so hard as if almost like it was happening to me even though it wasn't and you know yeah she kind of brought some of this on herself you know you know you don't you don't go poking the bear unless you're willing to get mauled but that doesn't mean she was wrong about calling the thing she poked a bear so it just turned into this huge mess and I did eventually find the original tweet the the original uh review that that prompted all of this and it's talking about that is what took me on this long long rant of the first attempt at this that I'm just not even going to go there but I did find what it was and having seen what I recognized it immediately there was a line in this very otherwise very glowing review that made me go (gasps) when I read it because it was like somebody had just stuck a knife in my heart and twisted it. And I I learned from trying to explain it to Steve that it makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) I mean, it does in in the emotional reaction that it causes because it's trauma related, but trying to explain that trauma and the action to that trauma to someone who hasn't experienced it just kind of makes you look crazy and it makes you look contradictory. So I'll just make a mess of it again. So I'm just going to skip all over that. But I did. I did find it. Um, and I knew exactly then when I read it, where her head was when she wrote that tweet. And it, it came from a place of humanity. It came from a place of brokenness. She was not trying to attack people. She was personally feeling very, very wounded and it had nothing to do with the rating of the book. It could have been a one-star review, a three-star review. It, it, it really didn't have anything to do with that. It had to do with what came across to her as, a, well, I'm not even going to go there. So it was a very human, a human interaction that spun way out to mean something that it didn't. And then she reacted to that spin out, and it blew up even bigger. And by the time it was all said and done, her rankings on Goodreads were I think at like 1.5 something. And even the Amazon reviews had started to have a lot of um, one stars show up on it as well. But Amazon takes that a lot more seriously and they'll go in and they'll delete it if they feel that it's um the reviews are being the rankings are being manipulated. But all of this, the reason to talk about it besides just that it's very real and very personal to me is um, well, a is a reminder that there's a lot of humanity that gets overlooked in all of this. And it's really easy to, uh, to become judgmental um, of people when there's a, a big online desktop like this and to join in. And so my advice would always be, wait a minute, pause. It, It might not, it might not always be that way. And are you contributing to pain and harm in the world? By joining on because nobody is pure evil, well, with very few exceptions, there's not a lot of purely evil people. And most people out there are really just trying to get by get through in life and do the best that they can, including the reviewers who wrote the reviews that started all of this. They were just reading books and loving them. And they how are they to know that this particular phrasing in line would would cause a reaction, right? And then how are people to know who witness all of this, that the response is coming from a place of trauma that cannot be articulated in a way that anybody else is going to understand. It just comes out as sarcasm. And then they take that sarcasm as serious as because, you know, online being online and it just goes, right? So be kind, be loving, don't add to the pain. That's my takeaway from all of that. But now we can look at it from the publishing side of things, right? Anyone else? This whole dust stuff, but absolutely destroyed their career. This is very much a don't try this at home kids type thing. Like Steve said, the book launched onto New York Times bestseller list and that was not supposed to happen. So why? Why, why did that happen when the entire, well, I'd say like 85% of anybody who was part of the Goodreads or book Twitter community who was aware of this, Basically, put her on a blacklist and said, I will never buy your book. Even people who had um, been looking forward to reading it or who had library holds or even pre orders, they canceled them and they all went on this, you know, Lauren Huff is an evil person thing, I will never support you quest. And why did that not kill her? Okay, so first of all, Lauren Huff, Huff's brand has built the basis of her following who know her for exactly this type of stuff. There are very few people in her massive following who would be dissuaded from buying her book because of this. And what happened is, well, what happens when somebody, uh, maybe you have like a a sports team, Steve will get this, (laughs) a sports team that you, you like, but you're not a crazy fan of. But then their rivals say some really nasty crap about them. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's not going to stand. And you get all feathers ruffled and you go on the attack on behalf of this team that before that you might not even really been that interested in. But it's kind of what happened from a book perspective here is that you have all these fans who follow her work, who enjoy her Twitter feed, who know her personality, who are used to seeing this stuff from her and love it. That's why they follow her in the first place, who a majority of whom probably maybe would get her book one day and they see this happen and basically in mass, they all go out and buy her book to support her because they're angry at these people in their minds. I'm not saying this is, I'm just, this is now the other perspective, right? In their minds, these people came in and tried to destroy her career for stuff that was not worthy of the response. And in all of this time leading up to it, Lauren was adamant, adamant to support independent booksellers. And she started this campaign. It wasn't like, oh, she thought this whole thing through. It's just who she is. She started this campaign of... uh, How did she word it? Uh, Down with the man, save the empire or something along those lines, basically meaning don't buy it from Amazon, go support your local independent bookstores. Now this is a very interesting phenomenon because the way sales and rankings and all these things are calculated is by uh, velocity, not volume. So the faster books are selling, The higher the rankings go, if somebody goes into a store and buys 100 copies of a book all at one time, that is not going to, that's only going to count like they bought one book in terms of velocity. Volume, it's way more, but velocity, no, right? So when you have all these little independent bookstores just getting inundated with requests for copies, and they're they're just selling out right and left, right and left, right and left. that the velocity is enormous so on amazon yes her when this whole thing happened her rankings on amazon took her the actual physical book part of it like not even the ebook just physical took her back took her over the hundreds like she was in the in the double digits in sales on amazon which is a really big deal and it took her um ebook sales into i don't know I would say double digits, also maybe even higher than that. And she she was best selling category in a lot of in a lot of that. And and these are all people who are not her fans who are buying at this point because she's telling her fans to go buy from independent bookstores, and they did. And collectively, that movement pushed her to like number eight on the New York Times bestseller list, um. In its debut week, uh, for nonfiction paperback, which is enormous, enormous. I mean, people can't even imagine how big of a deal that is. And it was a groundswell of people who were coming to her defense because they felt that she'd been unfairly uh, sabotaged. Um, and that's part of it, of why her book survived. And her career is not over in spite of this. And the other is it's a really, really, really freaking good book. So the the whole Goodreads and Twitter side of the publishing world is mighty, but small. And it doesn't really account for like book clubs and, um, just all the word of mouth. And there are already, uh, college courses that are using this book as a part of their syllabus. And, um, the It doesn't account for like so many of the m p r listeners or those who are getting their feedback from the big trade like publications and stuff, and the book is that good that the the press surrounding it was enormous, and so in comparison to all of the outside the Twitter sphere uh world the the that side of it drowned out. The reviews on Goodreads and and all the negative comments that were being said about her personal character. And that only happens when you it's a lightning strike. It's not going to have. If this had been fiction, if this book had been fiction, it would have been dead in the water, and that would have been the end of it. But it's not. It's personal. It's a memoir of essays. It's brilliantly written, and Those who were not part of all the Twitter world couldn't get enough of it. They're telling their friends. They're telling their book clubs. They're telling everyone. So how did she survive this? Well, she survived it, A, by writing a really, really freaking good book. She survived it, B, by having a massive platform that uh, it's an authentic platform. It's not just numbers. Like these are people who actually really truly feel like they've connected with her. And in many ways, the same way my own readers and fans feel like they've connected with me. It's just this, this deep authenticity. And when this whole dust-up happened, instead of negatively impacting her, it flipped and went the other way because she already had this grand, groundswell behind her. Now, on a personal level, I'm going to guess it did not feel too great for her. It probably was stressing her out and was very traumatizing and very triggering. But on a publishing level, money talks. And if a book is selling and you've got the audience, your publisher doesn't care. You, you could be the best person in the world, the most ethical, the most honest, the, the most loved. And if people aren't buying your book, you're out because it's a business, right? So the book shoots up and she's the, the brouhaha is dying down. And that'll always be there. It'll always be online when people search for her name or whatever. But because she's already built her own brand so well and people who know her know her, it's not going to affect all of that. Do I think that the sales would have been better if this whole thing wouldn't have happened? It's kind of a toss up because a lot of times when people get on there and they're like, oh, I was going to buy your book. (sighs) No, they weren't. You know, like. Maybe some of them had it on their to be read pile, but you know what? I have a lot of people who have my first book still on their to be read pile 10 years later, and they still haven't (laughs) read it or bought it. So, those types of things, it doesn't have as much of an effect as you think it's going to have, right? So, it's really quite possible, it's really quite possible that this outrage in trying to destroy her and destroy her book actually is what pushed it so high onto the New York Times bestselling list and and just like made the sales go bonkers. But like I said, this is a do not try this at home thing. Like, I personally wouldn't recommend it as a strategy. And I, It was not a strategy, I can tell you that much. It wasn't. It was It was purely accidental. And, you know, if she could take it back, I don't know, maybe she would, maybe she wouldn't. Maybe now that she's seen the outcome, she most definitely wouldn't. But at the time, I bet she was really distraught thinking that she just destroyed everything. At least that's the impression I got from her Twitter feed. And, uh, I, I just find it a fascinating, a fascinating case study. And another thing that's been brought up multiple times, uh, in this whole brouhaha is that if anyone other than Like, if a person of color had done the same thing, they would have been out in a heartbeat. And that's a really hard one for me to weigh in on because I'm not a person of color. And I 100% absolutely, without a doubt, agree that publishing is not a friendly place for diversity. Like, in all the interactions I've had with publishing professionals, I don't think I've once, once met somebody who was Hispanic. Everyone else has been white. And these are the gatekeepers. These are the people who are deciding what's good enough to publish. And in order to do that, they have to really, 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 really fall in love with the book and want to champion it. And we all know that it's easier to champion something that's familiar, that you relate to, blah, blah, blah. And and the thing about the publishing industry is it really does, those, although they're not well-paid positions... And a lot of people who are able to get in on the ground floor with very low, um, low salaries to work their way up, many, not all, come from families who are able to subsidize them. Which means you're not going to get a wide diversity of experience in people who are deciding what to buy and what to push out to the public. So it is a very, very unfriendly place for diverse voices. But I look at this particular situation and I go, well, yeah, obviously, if it had been a person of color, it would have gone down differently. But. Is is it because she's white that it worked out okay, or is it because she's making her publisher money? And and I would say it's the latter. I think those who tend to benefit most from and get away with bad behavior most in publishing are white men. Women are just uh, s- kind of in between white women are kind of in between the white men and people of diverse backgrounds, people of color, who really, really do have to fight and scrap for any kind of attention. And it's, it really shouldn't be that way. It, it really shouldn't because it's not representative of the reading public. But I just don't think that this case in particular is the best case study for one versus the other because there are so many. Unique, um, situation. Unique factors that went into the situation, and I, I, I suspect that almost anyone who had those exact same factors and could pull that kind of weight off their fans, um, to get them to come to bat for them, and and bring in the numbers like that. Like it wouldn't have mattered. All, nothing else matters if you can show them the money. And but but whether someone from a diverse background could have built that same level of uh, attraction or fan base due to biases and stuff like that, that I don't know. Like I, I really don't know. I know that it's just so much harder for those who who don't fit a specific image. And so yeah. Absolutely, that, that for, for, for in ways that we, we, countless ways that we can't even account for, I'm sure that played into it, but it's not the best case study because there's just so much weirdness in, in the factors involved in, in how this happened. So it just, it just opens up this huge discussion about platforms and interacting with fans and how some rules apparently can be broken. I wouldn't personally, but it worked out really well in this situation about how publishing works, about bestsellers lists, about sales, about so many different things. And each one of those could be a whole discussion all on its own. But we don't have time for all of that today. And that's just kind of what happened.
0: All right. So that is it for this week's episode. We thank you guys for listening. We are at forty two minutes, which is a little bit longer than usual i I will say one,
1: shorter than the last
0: one. <laughs> a good bit shorter than the last one <laughs> i will say I will say one thing. Taylor mentioned an A and a B a a it was a really great book, and b she had a massive platform and I think after the the end of that discussion, there are a lot of great books that get tanked for whatever reason um that that may have nothing to do with with social media um but having the power of a platform filled and 60,000 people i mean that's a really good platform for an author it's not it's not celebrity level uh no, platform but if it's 60,000 people who really like your work and want to support you man you can turn around a bad situation in a heartbeat i i, I was not involved but there was an author whose, whose work I really appreciate. He got trashed um, about two weeks before a book was released. And so the, the first thing I did, and I think probably lots of other people, and I think that happened in this instance as well, was I went out and pre-ordered the book and pre-ordered the audio book just so that I could do what I could to thumb my, thumb it, my yeah. stick my thumb in the eye of the social media machine. And yeah. that book also wound up on the New York Times bestseller list. So, you know, maybe this is becoming a new strategy. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> I, would not, I would
1: not recommend counting on it. Let's, yeah, let's, not, let's not
0: try it as, and, and let's not try and do our own case study. But uh, it, it was an interesting discussion. So yes. thank you for that. We will be back again next Tuesday. So thank you guys very much for listening.
1: See you next week.